again and welcome in. It's the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you with us. Of course, you can uh, find us on our socials at Doug Russell Pod on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Russell. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and on uh, YouTube, wherever you have a social media channel. But you can probably find us and interact with us. You can always drop us an email as well at DougRussellPod at gmail.com. Had a couple of really fun game night shows over on 97.3 The Game. And I just wanted to bring you some highlights. We've got a conversation with Paul Wagner about no-hitters. We've got Jim Ozarski on the Milwaukee Bucks beat as they have their annual golf tournament. And they welcomed in a couple of old friends to the golf tournament as well. But we begin with dissecting just exactly what the hell happened to the Green Bay Packers on Sunday in Jacksonville against the New Orleans Saints. Here's the game night. As the day turns to night, 97.3 The Game isn't done talking about the teams you care about. The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. The Lombardi Trophy is coming home. You'll hear from the newsmakers and newsbreakers from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the world. The Bucks have done it. The long wait has ended after a half century. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. This is the game night. Here's Doug Russell. Is anybody else just dragging today because of the storms? I was knocked out of bed. Now, usually, I am as sound a sleeper as you're ever going to find. I can almost sleep through anything, except when this baboosh just clapped seemingly on the sidewalk outside of our house. That was loud. So I'm working on about three hours sleep or so. I was doing pretty good until about 2 o'clock, 2.30 this afternoon. And then I'm like, oh boy, well, I guess sleep is one of those important things. I guess it's important for the Packers as well. We will get to that in just a second. We've got a lot to get to over the course of the next hour. Uh, Of course, we will have Monday Night Football for you coming up uh, at the top of the hour. We'll join that uh, as the uh, game goes on. We'll join it in progress. But we do have some Packers news to talk about. We've got a lot of Brewers stuff to talk about. The Brewers off tonight. They're opening up a short two-game series at Detroit tomorrow night. And we will talk about, I don't know if it's the controversy of the weekend, but certainly it was a discussion point of the weekend. And I have my thoughts on it. I know that you guys have your thoughts on it. Uh, I'm going to ask Paul Wagner his thoughts on it when he joins us coming up in segment number two. Uh, from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, their uh, sports writer, uh, one of their sports writers, J.R. Radcliffe, who also does a Brewers podcast with Todd Rosiak. He's going to join us in segment number three tonight. I want to ask him about it because I know what Todd Rosiak has to say about it. Um, I don't know what Paul Wagner has to say about it, but we'll get his thoughts on it as well because it seems as though there's a lot of controversy surrounding not necessarily pulling Corbin Burns in the eighth inning, but what you classify what happened after that. So that was Saturday night. Saturday afternoon, I I don't have a lot to say about the Badgers game against Eastern Michigan. They did what they were supposed to do. They did what they had to do. Um, we had a lot to say about their loss against Penn State because it was a winnable game. The Badgers needed to lay out Eastern Michigan, and I, I mean, I guess they did. It was, you know, th- what, 34-6? to six? Final score, 34-7? to 34-6, yeah, whatever. It was 30-something to under 10. And that's all I need to know about it. I needed to see, when I was watching the game, I needed to see the offensive line kind of beat up on a lesser team, and that's what Eastern Michigan is. They are a lesser team. This is what was supposed to happen. I don't, I don't what, know what else to say about That particular game. We'll have a lot to say next week when the Badgers take on Notre Dame. I think that's, I knock on wood, I hope that's going to be a great game. And Jack Cohn is having an amazing run right now as Notre Dame's starting quarterback. And I hope, and look, fans are going to be what fans are. and, and, And we love you and we wouldn't be here without you, and that has to be recognized. But any time that there's any adversity, well, maybe we shouldn't have gotten rid of that guy. Maybe we should have gotten rid of Mertz. Well, when you have the choice to make 
that decision, every Badgers fan would have lined up behind Graham instead of Jack. I would say 99 out of 100. Because it seemed as though we saw what the ceiling was for Jack Cohn. And maybe he's just had a couple of really good clutch games for the Golden Domers. I, I, I don't know. I think it'll be very interesting to see how he performs against his former team. Because the Badgers know his tendencies, but he knows their offense. And I'm sure that when they do their game planning for Wisconsin, don't think for a second that Jack Cohn isn't going to be the most scrutinized and talked about and coveted person in South Bend, Indiana. That game, by the way, we played in Chicago at Soldier Field. Looking forward to that game because it was supposed to be, well, I mean, it was a series, and they'll make it up down the road in a few years, but they were supposed to play these two teams Wisconsin and Notre Dame at Lambeau Field last year, but the non-conference games were canceled because of COVID, and things are just starting to get back to normal. Now, speaking of getting back to normal, we talked about this on Friday. Finally, it was the first time that you had Badgers on Saturday in 2021. Badgers on Saturday, Packers on Sunday. And I was so excited for the Packers game. It was the late afternoon kickoff, get a few things done on Sunday. And then you settle in, you pop some popcorn, you pop in a Palermo's, and then this happened. Alvin goes in motion, snap, quick pitch to Alvin, right inside, looking for room. He does find it, and he gets into the end zone. Alvin Kamara, touchdown, Saints. Can't do that against a well-coached and quality football team. Our guys are going to have to take a long, hard look in the mirror. It starts with myself. Obviously, didn't get these guys ready to play ball, and that's what happens when you go out there and play like that against a good football team. Jameis under center. In motion, there's Troutman, fakes the handoff. Jameis rolling to his right, throws it up high for Juwan Johnson, who brings it down. Touchdown, Saints. You know, we played bad. I played bad. Offensively, we didn't execute very well. Turnovers, penalties, lack of execution, can't get off the grass on defense. I think there was, uh, before that two-minute drive, we had 12 plays on offense. Um, They're up 17-0, and we go down, and you're feeling good getting three points to make it a two-possession game, and then you start out the second half, you move the ball, and you get down there, and, you know, we have the turnover. Ball is at the 10-yard line, back to pass, middle of the pocket for Jameis. Climbing the pocket, he's got room, but he's got a completed pass for a touchdown instead to Mr. Chris Hogan. The whip snakes, the whip snakes score. Touchdown, Saints. Yeah, it's it's very humbling, to say the least. Second and eight, ball at the eight. Jameis Winston, shotgun, snap, middle of the pocket, looking, throwing into the end zone, wide open, Jawan Johnson. What a catch! Touchdown, Saints! We got some athletes. Yeah, I think so. I think there's probably some of that. Um, we you know, probably felt like we are going to go up and down the field on whoever they had out there, and that obviously wasn't the case today. I give Dennis Allen a lot of credit. I think I've always thought he was a really good defensive mind, but they had a good plan. Um, it was to you know play a lot of two-show and try and uh, slow us down with the front. They did a good job at that. Second and ten, balls on the 45. Jameis under center, takes it back. Straight back in the pocket. He's looking deep. He's looking for Deontay Harris. He's open, and Deontay makes the catch. See you later, bye. Touchdown, Say- they beat us. They played way better than us. We played uh, bad. I played bad and uncharacteristic uh, of uh, how we've practiced in training camp, obviously how i played over the years. So this is hopefully an outlier moving forward. We'll find out next week. Yeah, I guess we will. That was a curb stomping is what that was. That was a flat-out, good old-fashioned ass-kicking. The Saints beating up on the Packers 38-3. to It was never competitive. I was listening to Drew and KB uh, earlier this afternoon, and they were right. It didn't feel like it was even that close. The Packers did, abs- I mean, literally, absolutely nothing right in this game. I guess the only guy that did his job was Mason Crosby, made his field goal. Jordan Love was okay when he came in. He was 5 of 7, 68 yards. Aaron Rodgers was terrible. There's no other way to put it. He was awful. Packers defense was awful. So it wasn't just, oh, we got to fire Mike Patton and that's what's going to solve everything. Because it most certainly did not. Now, Matt LaFleur met the media late this afternoon and he was asked, among other things, hey, look, I mean, you always preach, got to take a look at the film, got to take a look at the film. 
And then, you know, then I'll have something more for you and try to break this thing down. So he was asked on second look, what did it look like? His answer, it didn't look great. Certainly there's a lot to be taken from from the tape, a lot that we feel like we can correct. And really, it just comes down to all 11 guys just doing their jobs. Uh, certainly, I think we can do some some things as coaches to put our guys in better position to to have success. And, and certainly, we'll, we'll try to get that corrected before this next big game versus Detroit. So how do you motivate this, this team? Do they need some sort of inspirational speech? We just got to get back to work and we got to stay resilient. We got to stay together. It is, it's, it's one game. And that's the beauty of, of the national football league is, um, you know, nobody's going to feel sorry for you and you better not feel sorry for yourself. You just got to get back to work and, and try to hit that reset button and, and, you know, focus on, your upcoming opponent. And I mean, you get, you have to have a, a short memory in this league, both as a player and as a coach. So here's what one of the national, I guess, talking points today is. And it's not just on our network on Fox Sports Radio. It's not just on ESPN. It's not just the Stephen A. Smiths and the Colin Cowherds of the world. This is something that is, it's out there. Aaron Rodgers did he cause too much of a distraction? Has he been too distracted? Should he have been at the team facility during the offseason with his teammates like everyone else? Is that part of the problem? What do you think, Coach LaFleur? No, I think this this team's focused on now. And unfortunately, sometimes in this league, you, you get humbled. And certainly, we got humbled. And like I said, it's it's about how we respond to that, how we come back to work, how we stay together and and get ready to play against a team that I know is going to be really hungry coming in here that, um, you know, was able to show their resiliency and, and battling back. They were down quite a bit versus San Francisco and, and they fought back in that game. And I know it's a team that, you know, no matter what the records are, it always seems to go down to the wire between us and the Lions. All right. So one of the other storylines is the Packers offensive line. And they didn't give the running game a chance. They didn't give Aaron Rodgers at times a chance, although sometimes he created his own mistakes. Don't forget, you've got two all-pro performers from last year that aren't playing for the Packers right now. Corey Lindsley, who left via free agency, and David Bakhtiari, who's still injured and on the pup list. So you've got two rookies on the offensive line. What did the coach think of their performance? Like everything else out there, was, it was, um, there were some good and some not so great. But uh, I think, number one, we, we definitely have to do a better job in the run game. We've got to be able to run the football, even given the limited opportunities that there were in that game. Um, if teams want to play us in two safety defenses and – uh, man us up on the perimeter and, and play versions of two-man, you better be able to run the football. And if you don't, it's going to be a long day. And so when given those opportunities, I don't think we necessarily took advantage of those. Um, I thought for the most part, the, the pass protection was pretty good. Obviously, the one turnover down in the red zone, or really two turnovers down in the red zone, we could have been a lot better, um, in particular on, on the interception. But... Um, you know, there's, there's there's some good moments to build upon, and there's a lot to learn from. And then there was the debacle on defense. Yeah, there were some moments that we definitely have to clean up and some things that we've got to make sure that, from a, a staff perspective, that we get it everybody on the same page in order to go out there and, and give yourself an opportunity to, to have some success. And But I, I will say that, you know, we spent a long time dissecting that film with the defensive staff and there was a lot of great communication that came out of it. And I think that, um, you know, we'll be better for it. And one other thing that came out of yesterday's debacle in Jacksonville was Jordan Love, who made his debut, as I mentioned, seven for five, 68 yards, quarterback rating for what it's worth. I mean, he only took a handful of snaps, but a quarterback rating of 102.1. Yeah. I thought Jordan did a lot of great things, um, you know, in limited, in limited snaps that what do you get? 15 snaps. Um, but yeah, I thought he, he handled himself well, 
you know, certainly you don't want to end it with, with the fumble in the red zone. I think that's just, you know, one of those deals where the more he plays, the better feel he'll get for for the pocket and when to climb up and when to kind of hitch in place. And, you know, he kind of climbed in that pocket, and unfortunately it collapsed on him. Packers coach Matt LaFleur earlier today meeting the media at Lambeau Field after yesterday's 38-3 loss on opening weekend to the New Orleans Saints. All right, so what did we see exactly on Saturday night? I've got my opinion Paul Wagner is our MLB insider. He's got his opinion, I'm sure. He's got opinions on everything. We'll find out coming up straight ahead. This is the game night. Our MLB insider, Paul Wagner, joining us now. Wags, it was an exciting weekend for the Brewers on a number of different fronts. Let's try to make sense of it all and pick your brain on uh, what exactly we saw on Saturday night. Uh, Wags, how you doing tonight? Well, you know what, Dougie, you know I'm a Packer fan, and, and you know what, I got over the, the Badger loss to Penn State, so I'm okay with Badgers beating Mich- Eastern Michigan, or what, Eastern Michigan. Yes. <laughs> Notre Dame loss, is next, but yes. Notre Dame is next, and Jack Cohn. The Packer loss was hard, so I erased that and the poor performance of the Green Bay Packers, the poor performance of Aaron Rodgers. And I look back at the outstanding performance of the Milwaukee Brewers in Cleveland, taking three straight, solidified by the Corbin Burns, Josh Hader, no-hitter. All right, so let's get into this because this is this has been my stance, and it's not my stance that, you know, when you die on a hill, this is the hill that you choose to go down, whether it's Custer, whatever it is, but this is the hill that I choose to die on. And I said this at the beginning of the season, and I have to be consistent about it. To me, in my mind, in my heart, as a baseball guy, a combined no-hitter is not a no-hitter. I I, I agree with you, Dougie. I agree. You know what? And I don't like it when different uh, outlets try to tell me that it was okay because the, the 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 picture is brighter towards the end, or the the tunnel the the journey's not over yet, and he actually could have gotten hurt. What if he would have gotten Tommy John surgery, or what if what if he would have what if what if what if? No, I'm with you a hundred percent. A no hitter is a one man wrecking show for nine innings, twenty seven outs, and though it is, tip my hat to both of them. I do not agree with it. I'm, I'm with you. I don't believe it to be a no-hitter. All right, so finally I have some common ground because this has been a battle that I've been waging since really the, I don't know, seventh inning of Saturday night's game. And, like, guys, I I just, I to me, if they pull Corbin and I don't want to take anything away from Corbin Burns. He was amazing. He was fantastic. He right. was literally unhittable through eight innings. But as someone who took yourself a no-hitter, into the ninth inning with two outs against Colorado, if I'm not mistaken, you know as better than anyone I could possibly talk to how hard and how special it is to throw a no-hitter having come as close as you have. Yeah, it, yeah. no, I'm with you 100%. Um, we have days off. We have a day off today. I believe we have a day off on Thursday. We... They're really at 113 pitches. I don't. Yeah, I. I don't. Well, hell, Jimmy Leland should have took me out in the eighth <laughs> and let. Uh, then I could have had a combined no hitter. And, and, and that's what I'm saying. Maybe I, yeah, that's you know what, what I'm saying, Wags. And I, I, I don't know it. I know Craig. Deep down, I know that Craig wants him to do it. I'm almost positive. I'm not speaking for him. I didn't talk to him about it. Pat Mur- Murphy is old baseball, old school baseball players want to see the, but I think when analytics comes into it, um, going through the order again, who's up, what what my strike to walk rate, ball ratio was, how many first pitch strikes. Don't go back to Adrian Hauser and tell me Adrian Hauser threw a complete game with a hundred pitches, and he threw twenty three out of twenty six first pitch strikes. Every game is different, and in the baseball world that's been around for 100 years and it's going to be around another 100 years, the no-hitter is a nine-inning no-hitter, and 
again, the one walk on a 3-1 pitch almost turned that into a perfect game. So with that theory, if he had the perfect game going, would Craig have still taken him out? I don't know. I'm, Man. I'm guessing? I don't know. I can't Yeah. I can't speak to that. But, I, look, I understand the big picture. There, there's something bigger than a no-hitter. You're playing for October. You're not playing for September. I get. I understand all of that. But man, it's been what did they say? Over twelve thousand days since April fifteenth of nineteen eighty seven when Juan Nieves turned it. And again, I don't want to take anything away from Corbin Burns because he's had such a magical season. May have vaulted himself closer to winning a Cy Young award. Although I think he's got a lot of competition for that award this season. The, the, the Brewers are in such a fantastic position right now, and I don't want to sully anything that happened over the weekend in Cleveland, but in my heart, it's like, oh, man, I just wanted to see him finish it. Right. But you are right. You are right. We've taken three straight from Cleveland. Now we go to Detroit, who's been playing pretty good, and I said that. And you know what? You're right. October is our goal in maybe a different season, a different time, maybe a different outcome. I, I get all that, but, man, just being a pitcher, playing the game, being a fan of the game, you wanted to see it. But, again, you got to tip your hat to them. A very, very tough call for management and for the coaching staff. Um, i, I got to believe that's hard. But, yeah, I, I'd like to see nine innings. But, hey, we move on. We do have an, a bigger picture. We yes. are going to win the World Series. We want to go there. That's what our plan is. And if that's our main objective, I think we have to stick to it. So, again, not, not, the, not the decision or not the, not the way I would have went with it, but you have to respect it because this team is in a situation where it's never been before. Absolutely. And, and I've said this on this show, and I've said it for a couple of years, more than a couple of years, but I, I do think that Craig Council is the best manager in all of baseball. Gabe Kapler's done an amazing job in San Francisco this year. But Craig has been a finalist three times and has lost out three times in the manager of the year balloting. I hope he gets it this year. I think that he deserves it. All right, let's turn the page. Like you said, the Brewers are off tonight. They've got a short two-game series at Detroit starting tomorrow. they got two days off this week, tonight, and then Thursday as well. How important is that in September, that final stretch drive for a team that is headed to October? I think it's very big, I, especially, and I'm not, again, I'm not diminishing the Cleveland Indians or the Detroit Tigers. Um, it's They're not stressful. You know, we've always said, um, when you look at a pitcher's performance that night, how many stressful pitches did he throw? Sometimes your number can be higher. So, like, your pitch count can go up to 113 if you didn't have any stress pitches. And I'm not saying that the Detroit Tigers are a stressful team. You're going to have a situation. You're going to be in the game. It's going to be very important for Brandon Woodruff to go and see how he pitches on Wednesday. I want to see how he throws. We definitely want him to come back. But, again, and I hate to go back to it, but, you know, Corbin Burns wasn't in a stressful situation. That is one thing you always take into place. How many times was he out of the stretch? How many times were guys on base? When were you behind in counts? How does that stress relate? Because your body, you're a human, and your body performs at different levels of stress. And, again, I hate to beat the dead horse, but there were no stressful innings or stressful pitches for Corbin Burns. But going into these next series and moving forward to the playoffs, that's what you want to avoid. So if you can work the load and limit that workload to maybe three innings, maybe 12 outs, maybe 60 pitches, that doesn't put you in a stressful situation. And in stressful situations, that's when injury generally occurs. So this way he can monitor, again, he can be the manager of the year in our minds and in our eyes. He can monitor that workload and work these two games. Two days off right now, huge. Willie Adamas can get healthy. Do you put these guys on pitch counts? I mean, uh, notwithstanding any kind of uh, personal achievement like a, a potential no-hitter or anything like that, do you put them on an actual pitch count going into the game just knowing that, look, we want to keep you fresh, we want to keep you, as you and I have been talking for the last couple of weeks, we want to keep your routine in order, we want you to pitch every five days, six days at the absolute outside, but we are going to limit what you do. So don't count on going past, say, four or five innings just to make sure that you're fresh enough for October when it really counts. Right, and I'm sure they have numbers, and it says, but you know what, your numbers aren't, it's hard because you're so analytical and so data-driven, but the Milwaukee Brewer pitchers haven't thrown in that 100-plus pitch area yet, so you don't have any data to, to, to prove that fact. You're just going on your, your guts 
and what you think. So I don't really necessarily look at pitch count. I never have. I used to look at the Greg Maddoxes and, and those guys throwing complete games. That was huge because when you get hot and then you cool down in the dugout when your team scores a run or does something and you got a 15-minute lay, then you have to crank up again. I think you should almost limit your starters to Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, and Freddie Peralta when they, when they get back, when Freddie gets back on track, to how many innings you want them to pitch. Don't necessarily dwell on the pitch count. The pitch count is there. But to tell you the truth, Doug, it doesn't matter. When you're in a game, it doesn't matter if I throw 17 pitches in this inning or I throw 22 pitches in this inning. My arm is still hot. My arm can go. As long as I'm not throwing stressful pitches and I'm not in stressful situations, the number is almost almost irrelevant. When you get to the 30s and 35s, you know, there's numbers, again, analytically speaking, that that's when injuries occur. But that 17 to 23 is regardless. But if I give him three innings or four innings, that's up, down, plus you warmed up in the bullpen, then you cool down, so that's one. So that's how I would play that. All right, Ryan Braun retired earlier today. Not really a surprise. This is a player who retires as the franchise's all-time leader in home runs. Uh, he's in the top three in just about every offensive category. He has the clutch gene, which, I mean, you look at all the big home runs that Ryan Braun hit during his career with the Brewers. To me, that's what I'm going to remember, but then there's always going to be that other thing that I know is being talked about probably more nationally than it is here in Milwaukee. You played with a guy who also was, we'll say, someone who had his controversies early in your career. Uh, not early in his, but uh, early in your career. When you think about Ryan Braun, when you think about that era in baseball as a former player, how do you process all of that? Yeah, I, I look at it differently with a guy like Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, and Sammy Sosa. And it shouldn't, I shouldn't, because it's still, you know, under MLB rules and, and protocols, it's an illegal substance. But I, I look at the, the horse pills and, and the HGH, and, and, I, and, and I probably shouldn't do this, but I look at it two separate, maybe uh, poisons, let's just say, because one was in large, guys were getting huge. I mean, guys were just getting the size of, of monsters and hitting the ball very, very far, where as the time kind of moved on the Ryan bronze. And again, I don't know the specifics on it, but those guys, their, you know, their substances were for earlier uh, healing process, um, things that were doing to make them be able to play on the field for 162. And again, I, I know there's no separation. A penalty is a penalty. A wrong is a wrong. But I look at the guys that I played with as, as doing something a little bit more severe Whereas I looked at the guys that were the Ryan Bronze, et cetera, or those that were accused and mentioned of, those guys were doing things to to play the game. They weren't necessarily enlarging themselves. They were they wanted to play 162 games, and the only way they could do it was to build up muscle tissue, to to rehab quicker and faster. And it seemed like these artificial stimulants were ways that the body could to, could increase and perform day after day after day. You can tell me I'm wrong, and I won't be offended by this, but I've evolved my position on PEDs in baseball over the years because I used to be pretty firebrand against it. And, look, it's cheating, it's cheating, and I was on my soapbox about it. And then I think about it. I never played Major League Baseball. You did, and, I'm, and I respect your opinion on this. It's a long season. It's 162 games over six months. Sometimes you go two and a half weeks without a day off. I don't know. I mean, obviously, it's different for a starting pitcher like you are. But these position player guys, they're killing themselves by, you know, mid-July, by the All-Star break. They just want to get the hell out of town because of the daily grind of baseball. Yes, you guys are paid an awful lot of money. But, my God, you're still human beings. I'm so, I guess, ambivalent about a guy taking a PED so much more today than I was, say, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. I mean... We've all heard the stories and we laugh about the greenies, the amphetamines, you know, the uppers, the speeders to get guys to play because 162 games in 180 days is a rough gig for anybody. And somebody will say, well, you get 18 days off, but you're 18 days off. Probably 14 of those 18 days off are, are flying. I mean, you're, you're flying from, let's just say the West coast back to the East coast and you're sleeping all day. So again, it is a grind. I know there's something needs to be done. You have to find something, 
you know, you want to find a stimulant or, you know, a caffeine or something that, that can, that can put you up to that level that you want to play at. But I do, I do break it down. And, and I was mad at the Barry Bonds, the Mark McGuire's and, and the Sammy Sosa's, but I was mad after the fact, after I realized what happened, um, you see it, you see it evolve in front of you, but you don't really think about it. And, and I, I didn't until afterwards, and it's brought to the forefront. And then, and then someone says to me, did you ever take them? And I'm like, you know what? To be honest with you, I probably would have. But they must have been too expensive, and I was not a good <laughs> ball player because they were never offered to me. <laughs> did you ever – I'm not going to ask you to name names. That's not fair. But did you ever see any of your teammates grow in the, uh, in the clubhouse? Did you ever see them sneak off to the bathroom with a hidden package or anything like that, and everybody knew what was going on? Nope, nothing, nothing that I saw. And it was funny because when, when the whole Barry Bonds episode took place there, I got random phone calls because they would be like, basically, I think news outlets would just, and newspapers would just look and see who was on the roster. And I'm going to use this as an example. By no means is this the exact newspaper that called me, but the San Jose news or the San Mercury news would call. Is this Paul Wagner? Yes. Did you ever see Barry Bonds uh, to put a needle in his butt? No, I didn't click. <laughs> you know, so, so, you know, I got so many random calls wondering if I saw this or I saw that, or when I was in Chicago, did you see Sammy or when Mark McGuire and the, and the St. Louis Cardinals came into town, did, were you in the weight room? Did you like random weird off the cuff questions that I didn't comprehend at the time? Because I don't know. I, I don't believe I saw anything and I would have remembered something drastic like that, but no, I, I didn't see it to answer your question. Never saw anything, never saw a needle, never saw a syringe drop. Um, but obviously the increase in body mass sizes of people just doesn't happen naturally. So I knew what happened, and that's that's kind of the way I looked at it afterwards. Yeah, and I'm not excusing Ryan Braun for the the cover up, and I think that you know he came around on that, and, and he's tried to make amends, and he's been very charitable uh, over the course of his entire career. I, I think he made one mistake that he compounded with a really really bad mistake. But you look at all the nicks and cuts and just nagging little stupid injuries that he had, whether it was his thumb or his back, just the nagging crap that keeps you off the field. If I were him and I thought I could get away with it, I'm going to be honest with you, Ags, I probably would have done the same damn thing. Right, right. And and no, and, and, and you know, to the original question with him retiring, I still I still look at number eight as one of the best brewers of all time. I yes, it was bad. He he did compound a, an error with a double error by by lying, coming right out and lying about it. You know, or maybe he should have came clean. And he buries an individual for for transporting you know samples and stuff like that. So he he just continued to pile on. But when you get scared and you're nervous and you get caught. You know what? You sometimes you back yourself into that corner and he didn't know what else to do. So I'm not saying it's right. Definitely. I do believe it's wrong, but I'm not going to look at Ryan Braun number eight as a failed Milwaukee brewer. I look at him as a very successful, one of the best of Milwaukee brewers I've ever had. Obviously a great number one pick by the team got to the big leagues quick. So many dramatic home runs, so many great plays. Number eight retiring, and I'm very happy that he retired as as a Milwaukee Brewer, or he will. I'm not saying he's going into the Hall of Fame, but he most definitely will probably be a Milwaukee Brewer Hall of Famer, or definitely on the Wall of Fame in, at Miller Park or at AmFam Field. Yeah, I mean he's somebody that Brewers fans have consistently cheered for, and I can uh, imagine that when he does have his retirement ceremony, the last game of the regular season, he'll get several standing ovations for that. And I guess if I had one regret about the end of his career, it's that he didn't have his final at bat when fans knew that it was going to be his final at bat in front of fans it was in front of a, a handful right. of folks because of uh because of COVID-19 but I'll look at Ryan Braun as a member of the Brewers when they finally put all of that crap behind them when they had that 26 year drought of not making it to the the playoffs and you know I don't want to throw you under the bus but you were part of some of those teams that struggled and when when that group came through J.J. Hardy, Prince Fielder, Ricky Weeks, Ryan Braun. Man, that was a special time to be in town. Yeah, absolutely. And it it would have been so nice. Don't forget Corey Hart. Corey Hart, yeah. So many Another guys one. coming in. Yovani comes. We had so many guys that that was the core. I mean, that it 
unfortunately, economics does. It hits a small market. I, sure I don't does. buy it all the time, but, you know, we saw what happened. We, you lose a Prince Fielder to a humongous contract at that time. Turns out to be a great move by the Milwaukee Brewers. But those guys, you know, the Ricky Weeks, those were guys that you thought, uh-uh, this is the corner. And Ryan Braun was the staple. He was the main guy. He was the number one pick. Yes, Ricky was number number one also. I remember Ricky signed a, a major league deal. I think he was at Tulane or New Orleans or Louisiana Lafayette, somewhere down there. I think it was Southern, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, something like that. But he was down there. I remember he remember he led Division One baseball in hitting. So yep. I'm not saying anything diminishing him from a number one pick. But Ryan Braun was the number one guy out of Miami. He was it. And number eight came into town. And and all those other players were great. Prince Fielder was great. They all were. But number eight obviously stayed the longest. But he was he was the one. So I always look at him as a positive. Definitely. Welcome back in. It's the game night continuing here on a Monday night, September 13th, 2021. Of course, we'll join Monday Night Football in progress after we close up shop in just a few minutes here on 97.3 The Game. All right, so the Brewers are off tonight. They are at Detroit tomorrow night, opening up a short two-game series against the Tigers. And then they're back home for what we all think is going to be a clinching homestand. It kind of better be because the magic number is five and there's 18 games left to play. Joining me on the game night right now from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. He also uh, co-hosts a Brewers podcast with Todd Rosiak, Brewers beat writer for the uh, newspaper. J.R. Radcliffe joining us on the program. J.R., good to talk to you. How are you tonight? I am great, Doug. How are you doing? I'm awesome. I'm good. I feel good. Uh, I didn't get any sleep last night because of the weather. But other than that, it's just pure adrenaline on the radio here uh, on 97.3 The Game. All right. So here's the debate. And I've got some other Brewer stuff that I want to hit you with. But what did we see exactly on Saturday night? Because I was listening to your podcast, and I love your podcast. I, I, I like listening to other, uh, you know, the thoughts of other Brewers reporters. And this is what your co-host Todd Rosiak was talking about as far as what we saw on Saturday night. Well, let's start off by saying that was not a no-hitter, according to a lot of people. Oh, because there were two pitchers instead of one. Yeah, and I'm I'm loudly rolling my eyes as I say that. <laughs> I realize social media and Twitter is a way to allow people to, everybody to express their opinion. But give me a break. I mean... This is something historic, something that the Brewers have not done since 1987. Uh, yeah, I realize that Corbin Burns didn't finish it, but it was a tremendous pitching performance from start to finish by two all-timers uh, for the Brewers at this point. And um, what was the bottom line? Cleveland finished with no hits right i can read a box score i i look i get it i understand people were sending me you know cutouts of screenshots of the box score all saturday night and into sunday morning but jr to me in my heart as a lifelong baseball fan what transpired on saturday night was not a no hitter <laughs> all right so i i will tell you where i agree with todd wholeheartedly and where where i will allow a little bit of, of wiggle room I just think the time period, the 34 years that you're talking about, for me, that just makes it makes it that big of a deal. I mean, this is kind of that last outpost of, of achievement that the Brewers, Brewers fans haven't had. You know, they, they've gotten to the playoffs now a few times. They've had a guy win MVP a couple times, two different guys. Three, well, I guess you go back to 82, there's, there's more than two. But, um, they, you know, they had a rookie of the year. This is kind of that last achievement that the, the Brewers fans hadn't seen. So it's it's just such a cool thing to have happen. 34 years later, you finally get to it. It was the second longest wait of any team in the big league. You saw San Diego finally get one earlier this year. So from that perspective, if this had been like the Cubs, where they've had a couple no-hitters in between, and then they get a combined no-hitter, yeah, I, nobody would really feel all that excited about it. There's bigger fish to fry, and, and I can understand it. Now, <clears throat> where I might agree with you is that this is, this is one of those intangible things. I mean, we get really excited about no-hitters, but ultimately they don't matter, you know? Like, it's just one win. 
the Brewers do have, like I said, bigger fish to fry. They're going to go to the to the National League playoffs, and, and that's going to be ultimately how this season is judged. It's not going to be the season with the no-hitter. It's going to be the season of either they flamed out in the postseason with the most wins in franchise history or they you know went to the World Series. So I, I get that. Given that it's just a thing, you know, if you just want to think about it in terms of the romance of baseball, I mean, yeah, you could say, well, they're simply cooler when it's only one guy. They are cooler when it's only one guy. I absolutely, I was shocked that Corbin Burns went out for the eighth. So, like, I wasn't the least bit surprised that he didn't go out for the ninth. So there wasn't, like, a level of disappointment, at least while I was watching it. That's the way baseball is played. It's not just Milwaukee. It's across the board. And I get why people have, have issue with it. And they don't, they don't love that. And they're not going to embrace it as much as other no-hitters. I get all of that. For me personally, I'm into it, man. I thought it was really, really awesome. Uh, since Juan Nieves' no-hitter, Brewers haven't even had – they've only had one outing. It happened in 88, the year after Nieves threw the no-hitter, where they even got an out in the ninth. That was Odell Jones. He was a spot starter. That's the only time the Brewers have been even that close. I was at that. So, well, uh, wait, no, I was I at that. That game was either at Cleveland or at County Stadium. I remember Odell Jones. It, it was against Cleveland. It was against Cleveland, and it was. Uh, I think it was at County Stadium, wasn't it? I think it was. I think it was the only start of the year, and he was gassed. Like he just. I mean, that's an example of if if Odell Jones had started that game in 2021, he would have gone six innings, right? But right. Like, they left him out there as long as they could because he had the no hitter. You know, we look at baseball a little differently now. Managers do, fans do, even. Um, and I, I get it. I, I absolutely see both sides. That I'm stoked beyond belief to to have seen one with the Brewers being the recipient of it. Uh, I've I've seen them on the other side, and it's frustrating that those those have been a plenty. Or you know, there are a couple examples of those. And uh, and I am I am totally totally fine with it, but I get it. I get why people want it to be just the one guy that you can attribute it to. Yeah, look, I wanted Corbin Burns to finish it, and I don't want to take away from his remarkable achievement. He was great, and he's been spectacular all season long. I don't think he's going to be the Cy Young Award winner, although he might. Look, I didn't think Giannis didn't get any consideration for MVP this past season, and he should have too. So that, that's sometimes how these things go. I think Corbin Burns has had a marvelous season. He was incredible on Saturday night. But when you're talking about a no-hitter, my litmus test for it isn't, well, what's going to make the most people feel good? It's what is a no-hitter, and up until this year, they were supposed to be rare and hard to do, and when you're rolling out four or five pitchers like the Cubs did earlier this year, and considering that a no-hitter, it's like, okay, okay, come on. To, to me, it just it <laughs> well, just loses something. Thirteen straight games. So yeah, I mean, not thinking about that no hitter at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Corey Kluber had a no hitter. That was a no hitter. Uh, Joe Musgrove, you were talking about the Padres earlier this season. That was a no hitter. Carlos Rondon for the White Sox. That was a no hitter. There was one guy and he finished it. That's a, it's that's a no hitter. It's not when you roll out half of your bullpen. Yeah, I think too. If you want to look at it, we've always had sort of a, a, a grading system for no-hitters. Like, there's a perfect perfect game, which are no-hitters, but they're just different, obviously a higher level of it. There are games where guys walk eight or eight or nine dudes. We've seen A.J. Burnett and Edwin Jackson throw no-hitters. They come to mind that, you know, people kind of make fun of them. Like, yeah, technically it's a no-hitter. Also, you threw 140 pitches or whatever it was. <laughs> and, and so, and then we have the combined ones, which are, which are different. I mean, I remember the Astros threw one a few years ago, several years ago, where Roy Oswalt went out after one inning because of injury, and it was six guys, and that was, that was different. That was kind of cool. Um, but it's not the same. It's not. I, I understand that. And you could also spin it as saying, I mean, the Brewers have this reliever, Josh Hader, who is remarkably consistent the last three years in a position where you don't often get that level of consistency. It's kind of cool to have him sort of added to the, to the bill here a little bit. You know I mean? Uh, I think the one thing that I guess is kind of frustrating is that Corbin Burns wasn't just throwing a no-hitter. I mean, he had 14 strikeouts and walked one person. He was dominating, dominating, dominating. And, you know, 115 pitches is per hit. Like, that's probably a non-starter. He probably was never going to go off for the ninth. But still, like, it, it, it's too bad that it, it wasn't that he was out of gas. I mean, he might have been. But it, it wasn't that he had shown any signs of weakness or or anything like that. He was crushing people. And quite honestly, probably would have finished it if they had worked him through the ninth. But this is also a guy that you lost last year going into the playoffs because of an injury in his last start. Uh, he'd had some knee issue earlier this year. So it's not like he's been completely clean bill of health. I mean, he's been mostly healthy, but uh, Brewers, Brewers are just, they're, they're looking for something really special here at the end. And they, they just, 
you know, it, I'm sure they're into it and they're excited about that, but excited about the no hitter, but they just, they just got a, they just got a bigger, bigger picture to think about, even if it means just one extra inning of, you know, having somebody else step in there. J.R. Radcliffe from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel joining me here on the game night on 97.3, the game. Take me back to the beginning of the season, whether it was spring training, whether it was opening day, whenever it was. What did you think this team was going to do this year? Because I did not see them running away with the division. I thought they might contend for the division, maybe contend for a wild card spot. Are they 14 games up on the second place Reds? I, yeah, it's baffling. I mean, it is baffling. I, I, I thought that this team could win the division for sure uh, before the season. I'm a big believer in the Pocota rankings that came out and said Brewers might win 89 games. Uh, beat the Cardinals by a game or, or, you know, maybe, maybe the Cardinals are up a game, you know, like neck and neck with St. Louis. I saw that as a possibility. Their pitching, the pitching was good. Like it was undeniable. Their pitching was definitely the best of any team in the NL Central. Obviously you don't predict that you're going to have three Cy Young caliber players in that rotation. And then, you know, at least two other guys, I'd argue three other guys who absolutely are, are solid, strong starters, big league starters. So, uh, so that was, that was something that was above expectations, but you know, May 22nd or May, whatever it was when they traded for Willie Adamas. Honestly, did you think, did we think this team was going to finish 500? Like I thought, I thought, yeah, they probably will a few games above 500, but there's no way you think that team's going to take off because offensively it wasn't there. And you know, there were, there were a lot of guys who were like, they're just not going to get better. Right. And they add Willie Adamas who out of the blue becomes an MVP candidate. They add Escobar and Telez and like just seem to have this golden touch with the offenses Guys got better. Narvaez and, and Garcia caught fire, and Colton Wong's been solid when he's healthy. And it's like, oh my gosh, all of a sudden everything is going right. Uh, there's nowhere on God's green earth that you could have said at some point in May. Actually, this team is going to be more games over 500 than any other team in Brewers history, and they might they might win 100 games. Like they're legitimately on pace right now to win 100 games. They go eight and ten the rest of the way. They still get the franchise record for wins with 97. So. It's, it's really heady stuff. Uh, a total transformation. You absolutely have to credit both Chris Hook, the pitching coach, and Andy Haynes, the hitting coach. Haynes, in particular, was pretty vilified at the beginning of the season. Like, eh, it's not really working out. 2020 was awful. 2021's not looking great. But nobody hit last year. No one. No one. And we didn't. that's the other thing that was so challenging. I mean, around the league, no one hit around. I mean, like, you look at the, the rest of, like, the Cubs hit, I mean, as bad as the Brewers were, the Cubs were even worse with the lineup that they still had in place. Yeah, and, and they made the playoffs too. Like, there's that's the thing. 2020 was such a difficult thing to gauge. You just truly didn't know what to make of it. So we kind of go in without as much data as we normally have. And the Brewers have remade their team. You go back to 2019, they went to the wild card game. That's a good team, 89 win team. And they've got one position player who played in that game that is still on this roster in Lorenzo Kane, or I shouldn't say still on this roster, but will play in this year's postseason because Christian Yelts was hurt. Uh, Tyrone Taylor, I don't think, was around then at the, on that team. It's a totally different offense, and it's a, it's amazing to me that they were able to refashion it and at the same time, you know, improve it. So uh, credit to David Stearns for pushing all the right buttons and uh, totally above expectations. I, there was there was no point in the first three months of the season could you have said this is maybe the best Brewers team of all time. There's just no way anyone could have thought that, and yet here we are. I consider the Tampa Bay Rays for a smaller market team for a smaller market franchise one of the elite franchises in baseball. They were in the World Series last year. Um, They're doing it again this year in a very difficult division when you're trying to outspend, or maybe not outspend, because I don't think they have any prayer of doing that against the Yankees or the Red Sox, but they're just outplaying them, and they're doing it with smart baseball decisions. That all having been said, Jr., how on earth could they not fix what was wrong with Willie Adamas earlier? Thank God they didn't. But how could they not fix what was wrong with Willie Adamas before shipping him off for a couple of bullpen arms? Uh, yeah, that's the, the, the thing with him just not being able to hit at Tropicana Field apparently is very, very real. And it's always been there. His road splits have always been better than his home splits. But, you know, for whatever – I mean, I, Get I better lights. I know it's a dark bo- – get better lights. Do something. I mean, co- I mean, if you're a Tampa Bay Rays fan – if you're the Tampa Bay Rays fan, you've got to be really – it's like – how can you not fix this? And you just gave him away. I mean, granted, they gave away Rasmussen and Fire Eyes and two, you know, a couple of good bullpen arms. But like you said, Willie Adamas became an MVP candidate in Milwaukee. He discovered, you know, his batting stroke again for a team that was in the World Series last year. How can it be so stupid? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Adamas did not do well in the, in the World Series, did not do well in the postseason at large for them last year. And then Wander Franco has a lot to do with this. I mean, Adamas becomes expendable because they have the best prospect in baseball coming up to play his position. And he's shown, I mean, Wander Franco is not going to win Rookie of the Year because he hasn't played long enough, but he probably would have if he had played the full season. So it's, you know, they they don't feel the loss of this. And they, they did get two pretty reliable bullpen arms. And when J.P. Fireisen was healthy, he was dealing for them. And Andrew Rasmussen has been part of their equation too. But unquestionably, the Brewers have to, you know, they'd make that trade a million, you know, hundred times out of a hundred again, of course. Uh, so uh, some good fortune, maybe some good luck. I mean, I, you still look back at that Houston trade in 2015 that brought yeah. Josh Hader and Adrian Hauser to this team. Houston, Houston doesn't lack for you know excellent player development and player evaluation. They're right, going to be right back in the World Series conversation again too. And uh, and the Brewers just flat got the better end of that deal. You know, even though they sent two major leaguers in Carlos Gomez and Mike Fires, they got four solid guys, all of whom contributed at the big league level at some point in their career. Some for the Brewers more than the others, more than others, but still. Uh, that's that's a trade that resonates too. So they've 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 pushed just a lot of right buttons to get to this place. And yeah, hopefully you, you just hope Willie Thomas is healthy for the postseason because there's a chance he's not going to be at full strength here, and that that could be a a big bummer. But uh, but he is he is every everything they could have hoped he would be. Mike Fires. Now there was a guy who could throw a no hitter. J.R. Radcliffe from yeah, the Milwaukee Journal joining us. He threw two after leaving the Brewers. He also threw an entire yeah. team under the bus. Um, okay, so if you're a Brewers fan, I saw somebody say. If they had just kept Hater, everything would have been clear because not only not only does Mike Fires not go over there, but then Roberto Ozuna doesn't become their closer, and Roberto Ozuna was a whole can of worms too. So uh, <laughs> they definitely did not get the better end of that deal in any any sense of the equation. That that was Doug Melvin's parting shot as Brewers general manager. That was like I think the last big move that he made as Brewers GM, yep. and uh, it has certainly proven uh, to be fortuitous for the Milwaukee Brewers. All right, final thing for you. Uh, JR, if you're a Brewers fan, as October looms, who do you want to see in the playoffs and who do you not want to see in the playoffs? I think this is just a, if it looks like a duck and talks like a duck, it's a duck situation. The Dodgers are are just that team still, that the specter of the Dodgers lingers. You know, they're, they probably aren't going to win the West. It's going to be really close, but Giants seem like they're going to hold them off here. And I, if I'm the Brewers, I'm, I'm pulling for whoever they play in that wild card game, whether it's the Padres, the Reds, or the Cardinals at this point, get them out of there. And you, be careful what you wish for, because in 2011, you wanted the, the Cardinals to beat the Phillies, and then look what happened. But uh, that's just a team that just seems to have everything. Max Scherzer at his absolute best, and, and Walker Bueller, both of whom are serious, serious Cy Young candidates. Their, their offense is clicking and it doesn't even need like Cody Bellinger hasn't even had a good year at all. So they don't even need all the firepower they have. And, and so they basically have it coming, coming in reserve. They have it out, coming out of their ears. Could the Brewers beat them in a series? hundred percent. They beat them three out of four earlier this year. They'll see them three games at the end of the season, probably when nothing really matters for the Brewers anymore. At that point, they're going to get a favorable matchup with the NL East winner in the, in the uh, LDS, either the Braves, probably the Braves, maybe the Phillies. I think either matchup favors the Brewers. Neither one of those teams, has the pitching that I think you should be super concerned about, the way the Brewers have swung the bat. I mean, Zach Wheeler's very good for the Phillies, but yeah, I don't know. Does Charlie Morton frighten you? He's having a really good year, but like you you got to love the Brewers' situation there. If they can uh, get past that team, it's going to be maybe the Giants, maybe the Dodgers. I sure hope for yeah. the Brewers' sake it's somebody other than the Dodgers. Charlie Morton would have you know concerned me, concerned me maybe in 2014, but – um, well, he's, he's, he's had a very nice career and it, you know, he, he could, he could easily pitch like a three hit shutout or whatever against the Brewers, but that's, that's their best guy. Right. And, uh, and after that, it's, it's, I, I think the Brewers can hit just about anybody they got. Tell us how we can find your podcast. Well, you can find it in all the usual places, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple podcasts, Milwaukee journal, Sentinel, Milwaukee Brewers podcast. We usually post it right on the website at jsonline.com. Uh, it's every week, once a week, usually on Monday mornings, if I can wrangle up either Todd Rosiak or Tom Hawk report, <laughs> the, uh, the Brewers beat reporters, and uh, more or less, almost certainly the Brewers are going to clinch Friday or Saturday, maybe Sunday at home. The Bucks start camp this month, believe it or not. And I also wanted to talk about this article that Jim Ozarski wrote, I would say the newspaper, but at JS Online uh, as well. So I thought, you know what, let's have Jim on the show. And Jim Ozarski joins us. Jimmy, what's going on? How are you tonight? I am good, Doug. You're right. It is... Uh... I'm very close to the end of a very short off season. Yeah, I mean, look, covering the NBA Finals, that's got to be a career highlight. But when you sign up to be a beat writer, you figure you're going to get a nice long off season or a nice long-ish off season. This has to be easily the shortest off season of your entire career. Well, I, I, 
I guess technically, yes. I mean, if you want to look at, uh, you know, I switched from the Packers beat to the Bucks beat midweek in December, so I guess there was no opposition <laughs> between that. But yes, um, it is. It's, uh, you know, for for the NBA players especially. I mean, now think about it this way, Doug. You know, the Lakers, I think, had a 52-day offseason oh. coming out of the bubble. You know, I think the Bucks with their de- – you know, their early exit was around, what, 60, 70 days. So, I mean, you're, you're kind of stacking years here. Um, and that's not even including the Olympians or the summer league guys, you know. So, it's – um, I, I'm, I'm, I mean, that's going to be a storyline is that cumulative effect of, of frankly, that lack of rest and, and so much basketball in a very, very short window. Yeah, I know you had those long Bengals playoff runs when you were in Cincinnati as well, <laughs> getting ready for the uh... – off season. Um, but were there any active players that were at the golf event? I'll get to Brandon Jennings in a second, but were there players, active players there, or was it staff and former players? Uh, yeah, it was mainly staff and former players. This is an event, I think, where typically, you know, in, in the long off season um, or, or normal one, you know, that you have your coaches and players uh, active. But, um, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, you know, was holding a trophy and visiting players. Obviously, he's he wasn't playing. He's, you know, uh, coming back from, from an ankle injury, you know, suffered in the postseason. But no, it was mainly alumni. And um, I think for the Bucks Foundation folks, the fact that they were able to do something in person again, you know, dating back now to 2019, I think was a big deal, you know, for them trying to raise money and all of their initiatives in the community. Yeah, no issue whatsoever with having the players trying to enjoy some sort of offseason because, like yeah. uh, said at the top, I mean, can you believe it? They begin camp in just a couple of weeks. I mean, I don't know if you talked to Mike Budenholzer about this at all, but is he going to ease some of these guys in, like you said, especially the Olympians? But, man, it just seems like yesterday that it was what, it was July 20th, which wasn't that long ago when they won the NBA championship. Yeah, you know, he, it, again, I think these, these pretty much everyone has been kind of uh, off the radar for the most part. I mean, it, there hasn't really been the type of post-championship you know, victory lap, if you will. I mean, uh, you know. Oh, I don't know about that. I've been watching Giannis on on social media, and he's taking well, that trophy to every corner well, of the globe. Way, yeah, I, I, well, I, I guess what I mean by that, Doug, is in terms of off their own, you know, sort of personal channels. Like, sure. you're not sort of seeing the media tour, the morning shows, the, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're not yeah. out and about in, in town. Like, you know, they're, yeah, whatever it is they're doing on a prize. Bobby Portis maybe going down to Arkansas, you know, at the football game and being celebrated down there. Um, so, you know, I, to your point, though, it, it's I, I think Mike Budenholzer is finally going to be asked those questions, you know, on media day on September 27th. And <laughs> That's ridiculous. While, That's a two I weeks. Don't know, <laughs> right. And, I, and while I'm sure there's a plan developed and it's probably already in place, who knows what it'll say. But, look, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton played in the Olympics. They won a gold medal. So they, they've had, what, a 40-day offseason? Jordan Wara played in the Olympics as well. Um, you know, you, you've got your guys who have played, you know, some summer league games uh, as well. So I, I'm guessing, Doug, I, I don't know what they can say with the league rules about load management and time and all that stuff, but I'm sure, I, I mean, how can you not <laughs> try to give your starters, those guys that you really leaned on to win an NBA championship, how, how can you not work them in? to a degree that you feel like your your physio staff is going to feel is, is, is healthy for them. Because, look, it's all about – if the Bucks of last year proved anything, Doug, this regular season, wins, losses, lose five in a row, win three in a row, guys, that doesn't matter, right? It's about what you do in the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know how they don't go in with that sort of plan. Yeah, I'm less worried about Jordan Wara. It was nice to see him get some playing time while he sure. was – over in Japan for the uh, Olympics. What kind of an impact do you think he might have this upcoming season? I've been reading some things that, you know, this might be a good time for him to really kind of show what he has as far as being an NBA player. Yeah, I, look, I, to piggyback off that, that last part of the conversation, Doug, I, I think, you know, a guy like him, Mamadi, you know, a new acquisition in, in Grayson Allen, I mean, those guys are going to, they're going to have to play. You know, um, do you want, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday playing, you know, 35 minutes a game out of the shoot. You probably don't, you know, you, you're going to want to go a little deeper, I think. And, and while, and however they say it, I mean, it's, 
you're going to want to see if you can have some guys who can, you know, develop into something. Look, they're in the luxury tax. Um, you know, they're going to be up against it or they're going to be in that tax for a long time. They're going to need players, uh, you know, making rookie deals or minimum deals that can contribute during the regular season. I, you know, then going forward, you're talking about your eight man rotation, maybe nine in the playoffs. And, and I don't think, you know, those guys, those first, second year guys are going to factor into that. At least I, I don't think you, if you're the Bucks, that means somebody got hurt. You know, um, or or you didn't make a move in the in the middle of the season, um, but yeah, I think those guys it, it is going to be important because I think they're going to play, Doug. To be honest, and, and look, you're not going to want to be the seventh seed. <laughs> you're still going to want to win, right. right? And 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 still and still build something toward the postseason. So yeah, but I, I think a guy like Jordan War, especially if he can prove he can defend. Um, that could be a big step for him to, to actually get some rotational minutes. All right, you spoke with Brandon Jennings at the golf tournament, and for whatever reason, Brandon Jennings has always held this special place in Bucks fans' heart. And I don't know if it was because of that early 55-point game, eight games into his NBA career, because at that point it was like, wow, well, this kid's going to be incredible, and then he wasn't. But he's always had this place in Bucks fans' hearts for the limited amount of time that he was here. And when Bucks and Six, his prophecy became a reality, I mean, it took on a whole other life of its own. I mean, he's in the parade. He's now, according to your article, designing the ring. This is almost a Hollywood story, it seems. <laughs> it is. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, four years, really, Doug, that, that he was in Milwaukee, um, you know, traded and, and, Look, I mean, Chris Middleton came back <laughs> to the Bucks um, in that trade, you know, and, and you know, I know he came back for kind of a short stint, you know, a couple seasons ago for a little bit, right before his his career ended. Um, it is, it, it's quite incredible if you think about it, um, because I, I don't think, look, I, on paper, um, the number ten overall draft pick, as you said, fifty five points, seven games into his career, same draft class, right? I believe with Steph Curry. You know, and you and and back then you're wondering who might be the, you know, the real franchise kind of point guard, right? Or one of those young guys in the league, and and he had a good career, you know, and and played about a decade, right? Um, but I I would say, you know, on the surface, it didn't go the way many would have thought or hoped. And then yeah, this this Bucks and Six thing, and look, that that that's a credit, I guess, to the Bucks fan base, Bucks Nation, to sort of adopt that confidence and that bravado that he had and apply it to their team over all these years right Doug and then you mm-hmm. just happen to have the perfect you know the, the stars align you know and um and look I, I mean I you know give credit to the organization um they, they they capitalized on that and and brought it back and much to the delight of everyone involved and yeah, Doug, it's it's a whole new chance. He said it's kind of changing the narrative of his his career arc in Milwaukee because clearly there's that that moment, you know, those four years and the, the actual Bucks and winning in six back in 2013, and then to to where you are now. He's only 31 years old. There are a yeah. lot of 31 and older players currently active in the NBA, but he also spoke to you a little bit about mental health. Did he expound upon that at all? Yeah, he just said it was, you know, by the the time it was time for him to hang it up, he said he wasn't really in a great place, um, you know, with, with family or at home or, or you know, uh, that sort of, I guess, off the court scenario. And it was just, he said he sort of realized, you know, while you're paid a lot of money to perform and there's questions that to be asked and answered, um, if, if everything isn't right off the court, you're, you're really not going to be functioning the right way on it. And, uh, you know, I, I think, yeah, you're right, 31, but he came into the league at, what, 19? So he, yeah. he played a lot of basketball. <laughs> and so I think, you know, he, he said the physical part of it too and just, you know, move, moving away from the game, and getting into this sort of fashion design, you know, this line he's creating, you know, has, has put him in just a, an overall happier place. Yeah, what is he doing? I, I read something about the fashion line that he's created. How long has he been doing that? Is he trying to use his NBA athlete connections to try to further that? Yeah, so he, he said, it's, I believe it's called Tough Crowd, T-U-F-F 
crowd. And, and he said it kind of started his last year, you know, when he was with the G League, the herd, and then had that little, I guess, kind of, you know, farewell with the Bucks in the 2018 19 season. Um, you know, I think he played in Russia or overseas the next year, but it really kind of began at the tail end there. And that's just kind of what he's doing. I mean, I, you know, he's like, you see him, at least if you follow around on the, the social media channels, you know, he's, he'll, he'll be on podcasts or things of that nature to promote it, um, doing some other things. But look, I mean, Giannis wearing some of those clothes during the parade, I believe, is probably the greatest exposure he's had. Well, Giannis has been wearing the bucket hat. Is that, you know, if that's a tough crowd bucket hat when he was, remember when he bought uh, into the Brewers, he and Liam were at American Family Field jumping around. He's in a bucket hat. I'm not sure if it's one of the Brandon Jennings ones. Yeah, that that I could not see. But, I mean, just the fact, you know, so you add that in, obviously there's, there's Giannis doing, you know, a teammate and, and obviously, uh, you know, a former teammate and, and an alumni, so, uh, you know, a solid there. But, um, and, and, and Jennings said that, you know, they've known each other now going back to that, that, that 2018-19 season, at least, uh, you know, a little more personally. Sure. Um, but, yeah, that, that's kind of where he's going. And he said he's got his hands on, on designing the ring and all that stuff. So we'll, you know, we'll see what that looks like, uh, you know, here in about a month or so. All right. I can't wait to see the ring. I didn't know that Brandon Jennings was going to have his hands in it. I figure, you know, they'll probably ask Giannis. He was the finals MVP. Coach Budenholzer, certainly the owners will have a hand in it. But I, I can't wait to see what this ring looks like, especially if uh, Brandon Jennings gets involved in it as well. I'm sure it'll say Bucks and Six at least once or twice. Uh, on I'm it. Sure. Jim, great stuff. We will see you, I'm sure, at the training facility sooner rather than later because, again, they're opening this thing up in like two weeks, believe it. I mean, it's just, it seems, honestly, it seems like it was yesterday that they won the whole damn thing. It is. It, it is, what, the second shortest offseason for a champion in, in history. And um, I, I don't, I definitely think Bucks fans are savoring it, you know, especially, with, you know, after the, the, even with the Brewers run, obviously the way the Packers have started, but, uh, you don't get your, your four or five months. No. <laughs> you, get, you get two and a half. Got to celebrate it while you got it. Yep. Absolutely. Thanks, Jimmy. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Doug. Hope you enjoyed some highlights from the game nights. You can listen to the game night Monday through Friday starting at 6 o'clock in Milwaukee on 97.3 The Game. Or if you want to listen to it live worldwide, you can do so on the iHeartRadio app. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Doug Russell Podcast.